2: John Copenhaver,
1: and Al Warren. Heard on KCB, FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside,
2: and one hundred
4: five oh AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren, and my co-host today is the great John Copenhaver. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well, Al. How are you? It's going pretty good, actually. It's cooled down, getting rain. Fires are still going, but um, but Ugh. that's you know, it feels it feels like the the worst is over for this year. I say right. for this year right. because it happens every year, single yeah. year, and it just it. <laughs> kind of doesn't change anymore. It's been that way for a while. So, uh, but yeah, it seems to be um, clearing up and uh doing okay but uh you know plus like i said we're getting a little bit of rain so it's a good thing good thing good. and you're back at school with all those great kids
3: i am i am i'm teaching um all over the place th- these days in college and in high school so it's i'm going crazy but it's fun
4: yeah and i was you know and someone as old as you um <laughs> <laughs>
2: And <laughs> uh, 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 teaching,
4: uh, you must hear a lot of new sayings and a new, a lot of new phrases and catchwords and slang. I,
3: you know what is so fascinating these days are really into the things that their parents were into. So like they get friends' references, which I like, I'm amazed by. Or just that—that's or they—they've all seen, you know, *Empire Strikes Back* or something like that. But they have no idea what happened in the '90s, you know. So you have to be like very specific '80s, you know, references. Maybe early '90s, then '2000s again. So it's just strange how, like, they pick up certain things. Well, that was a long time ago.
4: <laughs> it, it, you don't think yeah. like it, but it was. I mean, it seems seems like be, oh, yeah. but wow. Um, of course, I'm I'm so young that I wouldn't
3: know right right you know (laughs) (laughs) well anyway it's just a fresh fresh yeah yeah.
4: well i just turned 17 and there There you go go. and that's in dog years (laughs) 102 um so now speaking of young fresh daisies we've got a great writer (laughs) um so now the new book warn me when it's time. And this is a Charlie Mack Motown mystery, and this is book six of six. Cheryl A. Head, thank you for being here.
5: Oh, thank you for inviting me. I know John well and really happy to meet you, Alan.
4: Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> like I said, at the end of the show, we'll see. Okay. Um, <laughs> Cheryl, I find this very interesting. It seems like, um, first of all, this is book six of six, so Charlie Mack, Motown Mystery. So I'm sort of going to take a guess that this is about uh, (laughs) a series that takes place in Detroit or in the vicinity. And who is Charlie Mack then? Charlie Mack uh, is
5: Charlene Mack, uh, a 35, 36-year-old black, queer woman who is born and raised in Detroit and has agency there. She's a type A personality, uh, is, uh, has a law degree, has run her own two companies, one a PR agency, another a martial arts school. She was recruited to the first class of Homeland Security at the uh, end of 2001.
4: She's a, she's a kick-ass black woman with agency in Detroit. Wow. So now we're, when you do a character like that and you do it over a series of books like this, I would imagine that uh, you get to know your character better. Everyone does. Um, but how do you accomplish something like that yeah, as a writer? Like where where do you do you kind of outline the books ahead of time? Do you kind of know where this is going? Do you know book six at the same time as you're creating book one or um, kind of kind of maybe explain that to someone that see someone like me that writes about the true story so i don't really get to choose right, where, my, right. where my characters are going yeah. or what i what i what i'm going to do with them so uh, how do you know you know is this outlined
5: well it it is partially outlined and it's been changing as i write each book the first book was not outlined at all Um, The second book was um, I had the idea in my head and pretty much spewed it out of my head. By book three, I realized I had written two or three or four chapters, and I had no clue how it ended. So that's when I panicked, and then I decided what I would do is take a stab at writing an outline, a summary. And having the summary really helped. The, the outline helped. Um, I didn't use it too much, <laughs> but having it on paper and pulling out the one or two or three good ideas per chapter that I had really helped. So that's what I'm doing now by book six. Uh, although book six, I'm, I'm kind of back to the first book where I'm just getting out of my head. Um, so I can't be helpful to anybody who is looking for a craft recommendation. Um, I, I'm definitely not a cancer. much. I feel like even when I spew it out of my head, I have it organized already in my head. Um, but um, the outline is a helpful kind of cheat sheet to have, and um, I've started to use it more and more. And as I get deeper into the series, I'm relying on it more, uh,
4: on an outline more. Well, I, I think what I what I'm trying to get at is like so – you're writing about this 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 character over a period yeah. of time in six books. Right. How do you how do you remember <laughs> what she did in book one when you're doing something in book six and you and it's something that could be relevant to what you're writing? You know what I mean? You I don't do. not want to forget? You want to yeah. you want to make sure it's all there because you know the readers will all of a sudden go, oh, oh, they she, know. Yeah, they notice or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do notice. I do do a pretty extensive
5: profile. On all my characters, so all the main characters, I have a two and two page and growing um, backgrounder, so I can remember small things like the color of their car, the name of their mother, the you know the the nickname they were given in childhood, that kind of thing. So, I, while I may not have an outline all the time, I do have these backgrounders on every character. On some of the secondary characters, I find I do that as well, just so I can remember things. But for the trajectory of the series. It really does help me to know that Charlie's Corvette is white and not blue, as I tried to say in one of my other...
4: He <laughs> 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 to get it painted. That's, <laughs> that's right. You know, just how it reflected in the yeah. <laughs> so? But who is Char- Charlie Mack Charlie, for you? Like, yes. is, is this person um, from you? Like quite a few of the fiction <laughs> writers I've had on have said that they... You know, they're in every one of their characters, so they're mm-hmm. part of it. But, I, I totally
5: buy into that.
4: Yeah. So are you are you a lot of this character with elements mm-hmm. of other people you've met or seen through your life that you've thrown in? Yeah,
5: I'm a I'm a lot of this character. Um she has more assets than I have, once probably that I wish I had. Um but I'm a lot of her, uh, and as I write her, and I, as I, you know, when I notice it the most, <laughs> Alan, is when I get notes back from my editor. Uh, she'll say things like, "What did Charlie feel after she killed that man?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean? He deserved to die." And she said, "No, <laughs> but what it didn't, you know, most people would feel something," and I went. Like, they would <laughs> you <know>. so, uh, <laughs> I do see myself in her in terms of my being able to distance myself. I, I certainly have a code that I, I think is important. I'm certainly, a, I do think I'm an empathetic person. There are a lot of qualities she has that are mine for sure. But I can say that about all the other partners in her agency. Don Rutkowski is a, a white man, a kind of an cervic white guy who's an amalgam of every white man I've known well. Uh, especially growing up in Detroit, I've had some really fine white male mentors and some really fine white male nemesis. Um, and Don is uh, this, the guy who allows me to just say the crazy stuff I want to say, um, and I, I rarely have to think much about what he's going to say. He's he's my reactive side. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I'm I'm I find myself. Uh, in every character, uh, especially the the main characters, I have um, they have some of the same interests I have for sure. Some of the same um, flaws I have. Um, I'm admitting that this is
4: like therapy, Alan. Mm, yeah, what well, do you say? <laughs> <we, laughs>
5: little little did now. I know. <laughs> yeah, and we,
4: we, and we can go a little deeper here then, because when you when you are <laughs> actually writing it down, that's one thing. Because you're if you're putting a lot of feelings in how you are and as you call them, your flaws, and yeah. and the good things and the bad things and all this sort of stuff, and you're putting it into this character. Yeah. Um. But you're actually writing it down for people to read, and you're getting it published, and you're putting it out there so that everybody can pick up this book or the e-book and read it. Um, doesn't that kind of make you feel a little vulnerable in a sense? Doesn't that kind of expose some of who you are to a lot of people you don't even know? It It could, but... You don't
5: even know the stuff I'm holding back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so even though that is a filter through which I write these characters, the stuff I don't uh, c- commit to paper, oh, my goodness. You, yeah, You'd have to write a, a novel about me, Alan. Right.
4: <laughs> oh, boy. See, this, oh, this, boy. This, <laughs> could be, this could be your insider's club. <laughs> they have to pay $9 a month and get the deep stuff, you know.
3: It's so, it's so funny because I, 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 agree with Cheryl. There's so much you don't, you know, you are crafting something for someone to see. And it's part of you, right. right? When you're writing fiction, but it's not, you know, all of you. And I think it's even true when you're writing like creative nonfiction or memoir, or that kind of thing. There's still, there, I mean, you still have to give out more of yourself through that kind yeah. of thing. But uh, even that, you know, you don't let it all out. Um, or it's probably not good. Yeah, but but, but, but <laughs> that's right. I mean, you should, yeah, that's right. Get on Twitter.
4: Uh, no, but, I mean, what I'm saying is to see, because you, your your characters are very important to you, and that's in, in both yeah. your cases. So you're both writing fiction. But your characters are very important in how they act and react and what they're doing and, and that. There's a lot more to it, which we yeah. can get into. But I think mm-hmm. that what I'm saying is, so, so when you have. Charlie Mack, do something and react to something in a certain way, all of a sudden that kind of exposes who you are.
5: Absolutely, it does. And, yeah, and yeah. that's
4: sort of the peak. So all of a sudden they don't need to know a whole lot more about you, but those <laughs> critics on Twitter can all of a sudden mm-hmm. take that and kind of go, this is who you are.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: That's um, what I'm saying. Because I, I get that myself at times, and and now I'm pretty iron, so I just... Let it slide right off, but you know, because you can get kind of people that make wrong assumptions. So, but Mike, what what the point to to what I'm saying is? So for for Cheryl, um, what was it that made you decide that you could write and people would care about this?
5: Oh, that's a that's a good question. I think that's a different question than that the one I heard you pose the first time?
4: Well, yeah, I'm just going You say I'm easing you into this. You are. You're pouring me in. I'm I'm a therapist that gets you in. It's it's like American Horror Story, and all of a sudden you're there, and it's like, how do you go back? Oh, no. (laughs) Well,
5: I wanted to kind of respond to this thing about how I am in my characters and they are of me. I, you know, I I, I I talked a little bit about empathy. I do believe I'm an empathetic person, and I want to – I give lots of room to my characters to talk to me. They don't always, but I will often just stop in the middle of writing and kind of walk around and say, you know, what, what are you going to do about this? You know, I have a conversation in my head with the characters. I don't have to do that with Don. He just comes to me. But for the other characters, I do, and I've had that one, only one time so far, rare occasion where a character just literally spoke to me, woke me out of a, a sleep to talk to me, and I was enthralled by that experience and want to have it again. So, But I'm always open to the character telling me what they want to say, and I tried to do that in this latest book with this... Um, Domestic terrorist, I, I really wanted his words to come out of on, out of my fingers onto the keyboard and not speak for him. Uh, I try very hard to do that. Um, the question about the kind of the ego uh, that it takes to write and think that other people will be interested in your writing. I guess that happened sort of by accident for me. I, the first book I wrote was um, kind of a labor of love. I felt it was important to talk about Negro soldiers in World War II, to rebut what I'd seen in a Ken Burns documentary. And so that was a lot of research and labor of love. That's where the character spoke to me and told me he was gay. I went, oh, okay, let me go back to the drawing board. Um, But uh, in subsequent books, you know, in subsequent books, I'm really thinking about talking to people about diversity and tolerance and race hatred and class and the things I'm interested in and I feel like I have a voice that needs to be shared. It's certainly a little bit of ego. You know, it's maybe more than a little bit of ego. Um, But I I keep a person in mind as my primary audience, and that is a white woman in Iowa, believe it or not. And um, I'm I'm trying to write in a way that she can learn something about my world and come and, and see it with a different kind of color different kind of filter, to see a gay, black, cis, female uh, person and her life in a way that they might not have imagined before and certainly wouldn't see on television.
4: It's, it's, it's interesting because the subject matter, too, like you write about very serious subjects. This yes. is like very true to life. You know, um, yeah. of what is going on in the world, particularly in the U.S., it's really focused upon and it's something that draws a lot of lines. Like you yeah. see people very polarized right now. You see very mm-hmm. people very tribal. So how do you think you can get through to that white, white woman in Iowa
5: mm-hmm. when it's
4: so separated right now?
5: Mm-hmm. But by showing her that I can also write down Rutkowski. And that I can have a, a fondness for Don. I, I'm fond of Don, as is Charlie, um, because there are other um, values he has, other um, characteristics he has. Uh, he certainly has his own humor. He's the guy you want in a knife fight, or gun gunfight, or any fight for that matter. Uh, um, so his bravery, his loyalty, just to, to let the person know. I, I mean, I really—it's true. This. Notion that we have right now that either you're with me or you're against me, you know, that we want to demonize people so quickly. I just don't think it helps us at all to do that. Um, and so I'm this the kind of cancel culture thing we have going on is not who I am. Um, there are people I don't like. There are not, they're not that many people I don't like, though. But there were there never will be people uh, that I won't be kind of curious about why they think the way they do. Uh, even if it's crazy, you know i'm always thinking, well why does the serial killer do that? <laughs> you know I kind of want to understand what goes on there uh and not in a, and not for the purpose of saying you're crazy and unfriend me, but for the purpose of saying you know what makes you tick and where do, where do you where do you fit in this grand scheme of things um, so and I think it's a curiosity and I think it's ego and I think it's um I think that's the reason writers write. Uh, We think we have something to say and that we have a voice. And some of us write without even expecting audience, or like Toni Morrison says, she writes without the white gaze. Um, I think I'm somewhat um, cognizant of the white gaze, uh, especially since, you know, my primary audience woman is this white woman.
4: So do you actually have something in mind? So when somebody, not just Iowa woman, yeah. Um, but, you know, we call her Rita. <laughs> so not just Rita, but when, when somebody goes goes to the bookstore or, they're, or yeah. they're surfing online and they go through and they see your books and they go, yeah. oh, well, you know, I'll pick that one. And they read it. Uh, at the end of it, of course, there's the story. You know, there's the things that Charlie Mack does and, and yeah. the interactions and the crimes and all that stuff. But is there an underlying subtext that you're hoping that... They get. Do you actually have that built in?
5: Yes. Uh, I guess if I would put it in one word, it's probably always tolerance. And, and, and there, sometimes it's more subtle than other times. Uh, John, John will tell you this, I and I get this comment all the time when I'm doing book readings and going to book clubs and things. They're going like, there's an awful lot of eating in your books. And I'm going like, yeah, there. <laughs> and there always will be because everybody eats and everybody likes pizza and everybody likes Chinese and everybody, you know. So I, I put that in there as a way to say, hey, I'm black queer and I like um, burgers too, you know. <laughs> it's subtle, but I think it's important. You know, I uh, just like music is uh, an, an opening to uh, connect us all as human beings. So, um, you know, I don't know if it's any you know grand scheme or not, but it's always kind of in the back of my mind. Uh, it's why I write about uh, a woman uh, who's Charlie's mother, who's uh, early onset Alzheimer's. You know, that when I learn about something that intrigues me. Like Alzheimer's did when I was um, working in public broadcasting, I funded a program about Alzheimer's, and I didn't really know much about it at all. And when I found out what a mean disease it is, I really wanted to learn as much as I could about it. So that's why that storyline is in there.
4: What What influences you when you're writing something? Like, how do you come up with the actual uh, yeah story uh, behind one of these books?
5: Yeah, I'm I'm uh, a news junkie. I, when I was really young, uh, I worked in Detroit in, in television and radio news. So I remain a news junkie. I'm always watching news and reading news and listening. For, and, you know, I, when I read a, like a, a Sunday New York Times, I must find seven or eight stories that probably could be novels. Um, I, I, I'm not wired to, to write all those, but I, I spot them and go like, oh, that would be a good story. Um, so I think I'm paying attention to the world in a way that I know my partner doesn't pay attention this way. She's always <laughs> looking at me like, what? You know, you know, you know, maybe John, you do this too. You know, you, you go to a place and, uh, you look over and you think, wow, that's that little remote house. Wow. I could see a murder happening there. Uh, or you, 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 oh, yeah. you see uh, a person on the street and they're in some kind of angst. And you think, wow, I wonder what they're going through. So it's really being observational. It's really being curious about everything you see that's different um, and that you don't know about. And I think it's also a kind of a discernment about what's I, – I when I was working in news, I was pretty good about having a nose for it, as they say, um, and, and what I would cover uh, and, and that kind of thing.
4: Mm. Well, when you're so involved in the story, because it kind of relates to what's going on around you and stuff,
1: mm-hmm. I wonder
4: if, um, do you feel a certain amount of stress when you write one of these books and when you come out of it? If yeah. you do, how do you, what, what do you do to unwind or distra- distress
5: yeah, uh, I do, this last one, I was under a lot of duress. I mean, it was just, I was going, what the hell, you know. There's um, a lot of gardening. I dig in dirt and stuff like that. I could probably be a gravedigger. That would probably be my line of work. Um, uh, I do things that are physical, things that will make me sweat. That really helps. So, you know, really good exercise. But a lot, I mean, when I say yard work, I mean I tackle, you know, let's build a fence you know, or something like that. Um, and that really usually is very helpful for me. I don't get really stressed out about, most of the time I'm really aware this is fiction. But then this last book, oh, my goodness, I, I really had to. I was in the head of these guys, and I was the research took me onto some of their sites and things, and it was uh, it was demoralizing. It really was. Um, chocolate, yeah. red wine that helps.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, you bury the bury the bodies. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I, I would say that's really 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 hard to do. That so your research actually takes you into these places that you don't always really, first of all, probably know exist, and then when you find them, you're probably not really thrilled with them.
5: No, I mean, I knew they had websites, these these alt-right groups, but then you go online and actually see the stuff they're talking about, and it is, Mm
3: -hmm.
5: you know, it's just bizarre, and it's, it's like, you don't want to accept that there are that many people who feel that way or think that way. But then you remember that you have just come out of four years of a presidency that you would never imagine in your worst nightmare so then you just accept it you don't you accept that there are people who just have lost their minds. Um, I don't know if my books can help them <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know if I can reach them, but I want I would want to try I, I would want to find some common thread that would. Pull them back from the abyss of insanity, you know? Um, Can't always do it. Uh, And, you know, especially in the culture we have now with the the divisiveness we have uh, now. Mm -hmm. But I would always want to give it, have an opening, leave an opening. Um, I mean, even if we just talked about the best barbecue sauce, you know, let's find some common ground.
2: Mm.
4: Yeah, it's sort of distressing. I I was, um, I'm sort of still in shock over the last years and, and sort of how it went from just not liking that, you know, I I don't like a Southern redneck or two, you know, you just don't like them, but you know, but nowadays there's this like real passion to hate who you don't get or who you're not really into. Well, all of a sudden they're, the, they're the enemy. They're completely, yeah. It's 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 gone much further than I ever expected it
5: to. Yeah. And if we, if we stay on that path, what is there for the United States of America? Except, uh, you know, war, civil war, race war, you know, what, what uh, how do you hold out hope? Um, I was uh, reading, there was something in the New York Times last week about Derrick Bell, who had written during the Civil War, rights movement about his feeling that we could never really aspire to the kind of goals the civil rights movement had and he got, you know, he got ostracized for those opinions but I'm starting to see what he means. I think that you know, a a country built on the foundation of holding other people back, seeing certain people seeing themselves as more important, better than uh, smarter than superior to other people. And that, that, and that's the stuff they're talking about on these, on these chat rooms. They, they, they I, I can't remember the name they have for people who are not as smart as them, but it's something, you know, they have a phrase for it and they really think they're right. They think the country was built by the founding fathers who were white male for white people. And they say it out loud, you know, um, and so I don't, I don't know what to do with that, except to say that, uh, you know, maybe maybe climate change or some other horrific thing will smack us on the head, you know, so hard that we just come out and you say, wow, wait a minute, uh, you know, it's having an epiphany about it.
4: Hmm. Well, we don't want everybody coming up to Canada. We're building a wall. <laughs> <laughs> just just so you know. I'm like coming right. to Canada. I'm coming to yeah. <laughs> We've, we've just we've just about <laughs> had it, okay? <laughs> enough is enough.
1: You know, what happened
4: to the good old days?
1: <laughs> uh,
4: well, kind of have, have conversations with them. You're kind of involved with them. Yeah. See, this is the real kind of twister for me because I don't get this because I have no relationship with anybody except for the ones I meet, and it could be, could be written about in my book. It can be what I cover. Mm-hmm. But they're real, so I I can yeah. I, don't, I don't hear voices. I'm not walking down the road and talking to myself and talking yeah. to a voice, or I'm not. And this is I get this from a lot of fiction writers, good fiction writers. So, uh, w- what do you think that is? Like, is that is that sort of is that part of the creative process? Um,
5: Yeah, I think it is. I think it's uh, giving yourself over to the art, you know. Um, I think it's wanting to do right by the characters to the ex- so much that you don't want to say that what they wouldn't say, you know, and allowing that character to speak through you. You know, I, I think it's a, you know, I think it's like a, a sweet spot. It's like, uh, you know, it's, I think I made this analogy in my first book. It's like the jazz pianist who, just lets them you know he's not even the the music is his his fingers are doing all the work he's just he's just there as a vehicle to let the music out i mean i to, I would love it if if that happened to be in every single book it, because it is you know in some ways it's spiritual work when you're giving personality to a, a, a character that doesn't exist you know um you're 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 building the character you know you so you're doing you know To my God's work, so you want it. You want it to be a spiritual act, and you want that person to be authentic. You know, at least I do want that person to be authentic. So I was, even though I was, you know, shocked and had to do a lot of work. I, you know, I dismantled that first book when the when the character told me something about him I didn't know, and uh, it was a better book for it.
4: Hmm. And I guess you, as you get into the character throughout the books, does that become easier for you to? To write with them and for them and what they're going to do yes. as uh, yes. or just it does eh? it becomes yes it, you get you more into character.
5: it yeah, yeah you start to know their personality and you you can you know you've heard actors who've been in, in long form projects say oh he, my character wouldn't say that you you know you get to know them enough to know what they would say and what they wouldn't say
4: wow it does it get harder to write more things that happen to that character then.
5: Probably, because I'm having a really difficult time um, with my Alzheimer's character who I really like and my editor keeps saying you know we've got to do something about Ernestine you know how would Ernestine really be able to do that now and I'm really reluctant I don't want to kill her off so yeah you start to you start to feel for them they start to be they're real for you and um, I've been postponing it but I I'm thinking the next book or two, I've started writing the the seventh book, and I'm really considering whether that one should be about her further demise into dementia.
0: Well, maybe
4: she becomes a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got some candidates for her. (laughs) Don't write
3: that down. Okay, don't
5: listen to okay. him. <laughs>
4: think about it. Get her into doing something really evil. She just wakes up really
5: evil. And it's a mean disease. That's what I realized early yeah. on. It, you know, you don't know your loved ones. You can, your personality can change. It can be very belligerent, and that's uh, it's so hard on the caregivers. Um,
4: oh <laughs> yeah, I, I could imagine uh, it would be a, a terrible struggle. Um, to deal with that because you kind of lose the person and you're gaining someone new that is not who they were and then you have to deal with those changes and it's okay. not always pretty so so serial killer works great, great. I'm, so, I'm selling it i'm selling it man
5: I, I have been fascinated by serial killers i've done some research uh, and when you go on wikipedia and put serial killer in there there are pages no, and pages and pages and pages of pages with these oh, people yeah. it's amazing there's a fascination about it, you know. There are lots of books and lots of TV and movies about serial killers. So I don't yeah. think I'll ever write one. Um, I don't know. I, I, I may, but I don't think so. Oh. If if I do, Charlie's going to catch him and <laughs> <never>, kicking,
3: right? Right.
4: <laughs> oh come on, she'd be out there with a big knife, just going <laughs> crazy. Just just had it. That's, you know. It's kind of like uh, I've had it with this world, and going to go out there and blow it up. You know, so uh, so. What do you plan on doing with um, Charlie? You, you you How long will you take a series like this?
5: Yeah, you know, Ellen. I think I was thinking about this the other day. I think I have three to six more Charlie books in me. Um, I'm I'm trying to balance them out. At first, I was writing them just to entertain myself. So the first one was a missing person case with lots of complexity. The second one was a thriller because I love thrillers, and I just wanted to try that and had fun with it. And I bored some of my readers with all the detail, but it's the kind of stuff I love in thrillers. Um, And so I'm trying to make sure I'm stepping in and stepping out. And by that, I mean focus more sometimes on the uh, personal relationships that Charlie has um, so the story is a little bit more interior and then back out and do some bigger Topic like homelessness, which I've done in one book, and this book about domestic terrorists. But I was I was inspired uh, by for book six by the knuckleheaded cohort of group uh, cohort of men who decided they should kidnap and murder the governor of Michigan. I thought, what the heck going on <laughs> with these guys? And who are these guys? And where did they come from? And since my book is set in the mid two thousands. I thought, well, they didn't just come out whole cloth wanting to murder the governor. They must have been planning for a while. And so this book really looks at the nascent growth of these uh, hate crime groups in Detroit and around the country um, uh, at the at the first term of the Obama administration when they really became came out of the woodwork. There's an FBI report, 2009 report, about how they are proliferating and how many assassination attempts were thwarted against then-candidate Obama. It's just, it's mind-blowing. And I I wanted to write about that just because I'm curious about what makes them tick. And that's also why I wanted to be in the head of one or two of them to really kind of explain who they are, I guess, to me.
3: <laughs> Cheryl, you know, I uh, your uh, latest book uh, was reviewed in the New York Times, which is so mm. cool. And... And um it's kind of a first in a lot of ways. Smaller press getting that exposure. I mean, how did that feel oh, for man, you? That feel good. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, I mean, is this is this hopeful? You feel like this is hopeful, or are the smaller presses more diverse voices getting more exposure? What, what are your yeah, feelings I
5: about? Yeah, I think that um, you know, COVID had. You know, COVID was horrible and mean, but it had its um, yeah. its ups for for creative people. But, you know, people, people were at home; they didn't have anything to do. They were scared. They were bored, and they tried new things. Mm-hmm. And I think they tried new media. And I think they read books they hadn't read before. And so I think I think we got some attention uh, for small press offerings. Uh, and I'm I'm hoping they get a taste of it and they want to stay with it and see the kind of quality that they can find in, in small press works. Um, and those kind of quality and interesting uh, topics they can find in LGBTQ uh, themed books, you know? Um, yeah, um, to, to, to look at books with African American protagonists in a different way, you know? Um, uh, Charlie, I think it, it will surprise people who read it and don't know anything about reading an African American protagonist. She's She's not that far removed from, you know, some of the white male protagonists they might read in, a, in their favorite mystery series. They have same archetypes, some, some of the same tropes are there, but um, with a spin on it and with a kind of a different worldview because she is a black queer woman. Um, but I think they'll enjoy, uh, they will enjoy the journey, and I think they will enjoy kind of the things they like about mysteries and crime fiction because, because those are there as well.
3: But
5: I will so, say yeah. the New York Times really does boost your sales.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I imagine, and I was I was delighted uh, to see that, and I, it, it was certainly uh, very hopeful. And I, I think it's really interesting too that when people open themselves to reading books um, like yours or any um, any uh, any sort of voice or point of view they are not yeah. used to, they recognize so much. That's familiar. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
5: exactly. That's what we all thrive for. We, you know, especially mystery writers and crime writers. We we write the genre because we love the genre and grew up reading it, and we don't want to we don't want to destroy it. but we, but we might want to bend it a little. <laughs> you know? uh, right? So <laughs> yeah, you sure. yeah. I still love you know. I, I will still love all the stuff I've read before, and I will still love all the British mysteries I see now.
0: But I want, and
5: I also want to see myself in these situations, and in these books, and in these offerings. And I think lots of audiences are are impatient to find that now.
3: I agree. Yes.
5: You know, I mean,
4: some of us oh. just are not that lucky.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I felt really lucky, Ellen. I'll
3: tell you. Just wait. Oh, I'm, I, I'll <laughs> sleep lucky. my way
4: to the I'll sleep my way to the top. Come on. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, but um, what's what? What do you think the um, if if someone had had never read your books before, mm-hmm. what would you suggest that they read um, if they were to pick one book mm-hmm. um, of yours to get to know a little bit about your writing and who you who you are? Mm-hmm. What would you say for them to get?
5: I, I'd have to say it would be. One or, one of two things. Either the first book I wrote, which is not the Charlie uh, Mac Motown mystery, it's called Long Way Home, a world a World War Two story. It has all the elements I like to write about: diversity and tolerance and curiosity about the world. And there's food. Uh, it's historical fiction, but there's a there's a murder and there's crime in it. Um, that, that one really starts to explore the themes I would later pick up for the for the series. And then I would, I guess, book one in the series because it introduces the characters. Uh, I, I, I don't think the writing maybe is as good, because I'm learning as I go, and I'm writing better as I go, but the story is just full of heart and full of um, twists and turns, and uh, I'm, I'm one of those people who hates knowing the end a third of the way through, and so there's some surprises at the end, and you know, I, I I did some some plot ac- acrobatics in that that I really like, and introduced character uh, uh, Charlie as a character uh, along with her band of merry men and women.
4: <laughs> it's it's real interesting when you did the historical um, fiction book or the you know about World War Two. Yeah. Um, what what did the research in everything? Oh my that God. You, Yeah, because oh. I, I, oh, I know what brilliant. it takes. It was yeah.
5: grueling, <laughs> grueling. That's why I wrote a mystery afterwards.
4: Because <laughs> yes, take, a break. No, take I, a break. I could imagine. Because because uh, not only the, the the history and getting it right, but also the little things like the details of how people uh, talk talk to each other, how they how they live, just all the other things.
5: Lucky, lucky enough, as John was at this time to live in the the DC area and be neighbors with the Library of Congress. I live on Capitol Hill. I spent a lot of time in the Library of Congress. In their archives. Um in and both their letter archives and photographic archives. There's not a lot written about black soldiers who didn't uh go uh, who didn't go to the home front. You know, we hear about the Tuskegee Airmen and there's a couple of battalions who went to the European theater and a couple that went to the Pacific theater. But most, 85% of black soldiers during World War II stayed in the home front and did menial tasks and did the things that the, the war required um, uh, to build, you know, to do things like bury people and uh, get supplies where they needed to go. But the, the soldiers who volunteered, many of them volunteered, some were, Drafted, but they expected to have a different kind of service—one of glory. They expected to fight. They were probably would have been really great fighters had we used, deployed them in that way. And so it's a story about the courage of the people who stayed in uniform, did the best they could every day, as second-class soldiers um, treated by the American military as second-class soldiers. And so it's set in 19. 19- Forty-three. when we're two years into the war, and it's about a young man and a young woman who come from their small farms in the rural south and find themselves on an army base in Arizona, meet, fall in love, meet a bunch of people, and it's coming of age, and um, it talks about um, the courage of their service.
3: Mm,
4: Sounds pretty amazing. Um, Okay, so now, how do people find you? I get a hold of you. Follow you. I am
5: everywhere you.
4: but Tumblr <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not on Tumblr. I don't think I will TikTok.
5: I don't think you'll ever find me on TikTok. However, I said that about Twitter about seven years ago too.
3: <laughs> I apparently but people are doing well with selling there's a lot of uh TikTok book folks that right? are book talking. Oh, yeah. well. Okay. Yeah, we'll but, but TikTok, yeah. I will say,
4: TikTok has really gotten harsh the last little while. It's Have pretty it. pretty mean. There's Is a it? lot of negativity yeah. up there. It seems like it's moved right over from Facebook to TikTok because it's wild. It's uh, like the uh, Wild West right now.
5: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe I will avoid that. Or, um I'm, I'm, I'm
4: avoiding it, Gerald. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say see what happens. See what they do. With yeah,
5: it because... I, I think it's fabulous when I see the dance videos, for yeah. You know, sure. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I used fun. to
4: go there to cheer myself up. I used to go yes. on and flip through and kind of get a few laughs and then right. go to work type thing. Okay. But now, but now you get on and it's like, oh, you know, this, it's all politics and it's all, just, it's all abortion. It's all this oh, and that. And it's I just like, oh my that. God. Every, every video, it's just like, I, I can't, oh, darn it. I, I'm just getting really depressed. It It used to be my laugh place, but now... Yeah, yeah.
5: Oh, we all need
4: laugh places. We need laughter. Well, yeah. So I'd say give it time. See if they kind of start cleaning it up a little bit. Okay. Okay. If not, then...
5: Yeah. Well, then you won't find me on TikTok. (laughs) 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 But you have a website? Where will we find you? I am on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I do a really bad job on Instagram. I... You know, I, I'm one of those people, old people who has a phone and always forgets it's also a camera. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> and Instagram's driven by photographs. So I, you know, I'm doing better, but not as good as I must. Um, and so that's uh, easy to find me. It's my name most of the time on Twitter. It's C DC. Uh, but it's Cheryl head on Facebook, Instagram, C head rights. Uh, welcome hearing from people. I have a website it 's not a great one, but I do have one
4: you do do, do do you like um sort of the way it is now with social media and all the stuff going on and I do like and... social media i I yeah. have become begun to embrace it, and
5: when you work for a small press, you have to do it all yourself you know so there 's everybody right. encouraging you so i 've gotten pretty good at it. I mean kind of understand the rhythm of at least Facebook and Twitter. Um Instagram, not so much I could do you know I could always do better because you do have to write sometimes too, and not just like oh, yeah. and like people and retweet people and you know say they have gorgeous kids and pets yeah. um all of whom <laughs> do by the way, all of my friends do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah I mean I, I you you come to discover the things that work and and the things that don't and kind of keep up with with trends. I do think that twitter. Even with all this misinformation, is a has better breaking news than CNN. For that's I'll, I'll put it that way. You really, if there's something afoot, you can go on Twitter and get a, get wind of it pretty quickly.
4: Yeah, I think all of those um, national news places out of the U.S. CNN, Fox, all those have just got like a storyline now. They don't really. Yeah. It's not like uh, a news channel anymore. How can everything be breaking news? Okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gets it gets a bit much, and all yeah. of this is you know, and they have their panel and experts and all that sort of stuff, and yeah. it's kind of boring. Um, but and I, I I will say I really like the title of your book to warn me when it's time. Thank that you. actually is pretty eerie in a way.
5: Yeah, and I have a formula for the titles that my publisher now will not let me divert from. Uh so right. for the first one we you know we bounced around ideas for the title and I think I came up with Barry Movie when i did. And so now she says to me, when I tried to go off the, the script, she said, no, nope, five words, two strong first words, two strong last words, and it has to have I'm or it's in it. Like, oh wow. So I have maybe twenty or thirty versions of titles that some are better than others and they're you know, I'm following the formula.
4: Yeah, do you have any censored ones?
5: <laughs> you know
2: what, Alex? That's
4: going to make it fun for me. <laughs> uh, that's what I want to see. I, I but, uh, love that. I love oh, that idea. Yeah. I'm looking for that one.
5: Struggle popped into mind just now. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: I think so. But, you know, oh, what, what do I know? Crazy Canadian. I'll,
5: I'll send it to you offline. Okay, oh, perfect.
4: perfect. <laughs> I'm into that. That's great. You know, <laughs> ah, it's all good. It's all good. Well, how was the pandemic for you? Did it did, did did this kind of get in the way of when you were finishing one of these books to come out, like this last one that just came out here in June? Um, did does that? How was it for you writing? It um, it
5: started off slow. I mean, I remember thinking and telling people about this. that. So the first couple of months, maybe a month and a half, I thought I was going to die. You know, I thought I was taking my temperature twice a day, you know. <laughs> and then he realize, okay, I'm probably not going to get it. I uh, kind of hunkered down with my partner in her house with two dogs, which I've never lived with two dogs before, so that was different. And um, I'm an introvert, so I thought, what's wrong with wearing a mask every day and staying away from people? So that I, I, you know, I got into that pretty fast. But, uh, and then at the same time, so there was a conflation of things, you know, and then George Floyd happened and I, I was outraged. Mm-hmm. So I put aside my Charlie Mack book I was writing and, and wrote another novel and I wrote a second first part of another series. So I channeled, I used the outrage and channeled it into writing.
4: Yeah. You no, know, I was just wondering because um, a big thing um, when there's a lot of stress like that going mm-hmm. on around in your life, mm-hmm. so you're sitting there and you've got the pandemic and then you've got climate change, you've got yeah. George, George Floyd, you've got, yeah. um, you know, Donald Trump, you've got oh. like there's all of this stuff going on, and with it comes a lot of craziness, and it's daily. Yeah. Um, so that level of stress. Now, do you think that's going to seep into your writing? Does that come into your book somehow, you think?
5: Um, only, no, not so much, because I'm really, I am paying attention to the world, so I think some of the topics that come up might slip into the books, but I did a pretty good job. I'm, I'm not a person who really likes to... Um, Read or look at escapism much? I, but I did a little bit, you know, around that four years of that president. Yeah. I, watched, I watched a lot of. I realized I watched a lot of Cary Grant movies. Yeah, <laughs> here's a white guy
4: I can love. You yeah. know. Yeah.
1: I just I,
4: yeah, you know, I, I just wonder. Um, I just wonder what it's going to be like in twenty years. Yeah. Um, when people look back at it and, and if you look back at your writing in 20 years or if you look yeah. back at things, yeah. if you'll pick up or notice things that you don't now because that's, of that's what's going on, you know, yeah. cause when you look at, it, cause when you talk about serial killers, you know, a lot of them come from the generation that their fathers, especially the males, the white males, their fathers mm-hmm. were at the war come oh, back and they were mm-hmm. taught to be yeah. men. You don't touch, right. you don't hug, you're not, um, in the same, like they, you weren't, you didn't deal with feelings because feelings mm-hmm. was not what a man does. So mm-hmm. there were, th- that created, I think, a whole, whole lot of um, serial killers and, and, and nut jobs in the 60s and 70s, you know, the Charles Manson thing mm-hmm. and all that. Right? I think there was a ton of it. And I think that, um, I just wonder if what's going on now, Is going to create something that we'll see in 20, 30 years. It may not be killers, but it just, I'm just saying, Mm -hmm. I just wonder what effect it's going to have on our young children right now. Right,
5: right. I mean, I mean, it it could have some positive effect on young children, but I think, you know, I think people who are millennials and people who lost jobs and couldn't get them back and who, felt a, a bit of malaise about what do I do with my life now, um, it, that might impact them in 2030. I mean, they say the gig account, economy is is booming and that people learn to be creative about work and I don't know if that's not, I think that's a pretty good thing actually. Yeah. Uh, I think people tried new art and new, you know, they, they uh, I, I, I was teasing someone about all the, all the single white and African American and other kinds of men I saw walking around with babies and dogs without their wives, and uh, you know, and the, uh, imagine how these wives were going like, please get out of the house, take the baby, <laughs> take the dog, and be gone two hours, you know. <laughs> so I think you know, I think it gave people a, a new way to look at themselves and their lives and their, the role they play in their families and in their communities and. As an introvert, when I was out walking, you could see the people, you could see the extroverts. They were, like, vibrating to just see other people, you know, and they, you could see they wanted to come up and talk to me, and I, of course, didn't want to talk to them.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
5: <laughs> so it yeah. was interesting.
4: No, I, I get it. I'm, I'm the same way. I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> Just leave me alone. <laughs> you know, go out, you know. Go out to the supermarket, and people, oh, that's what you buy for dinner. Yeah, <laughs> get away. Yeah. From
5: me. <laughs> but it's an interesting question, Alan. If you wonder when people feel have a year where they don't think they really have control of much, whether that shows up later as as wanting to be really controlling about the, their lives or something like that. Hmm.
4: Something, yeah. To be- yeah, because so much, so much of what we do is is, is, is also a reaction to what's happening to us, right. or happening to right. someone we know, and and um, and how how serious it is, is how dramatic it can be, right? So it's yeah. uh, you know, uh, I just wonder, you know, I, right. I stay hidden and I watch. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, the one time, the one time Al goes out to a store and he goes to Costco, yeah, and get there. <laughs> and we've got the big, huge lineup, you know. It takes Uh-oh. you an hour to get in. And by, right when I get to the lineup, the person, the guy in front of me, is not going to wear a mask. <laughs> and, and no matter what, and his freedom. And uh-huh. then you have to get the manager out there. And meanwhile, it's like, oh, you've got to be kidding. Mm-hmm. Me. The one time I go out to the store. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. then I'd go home and I write about killing this guy that's <laughs> oh, in the Costco, <laughs> uh, and it feels good. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. In
5: yeah. Costco, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Anyway, <laughs> it, you, you, it's easy to get into the killing mood in Costco, in my. <laughs> yeah
4: i think you know more so than even walmart and i just don't go to walmart but you know it's definitely more enraged you know yeah yeah i'll tell you you know but anyway it's not important
5: Um, i've I've been thinking about the you know people in january 6th how desperate they must have been to do the things they did you know what yeah that desperation come came from someplace you know and Fear oh, yeah. you know, fear, and
4: desperation, yeah. yeah. I agree, you know, and you watch it all and you see it and you, you just, people don't understand it, but then you realize what it must have been like where they were living and what was around them and why they got mm-hmm. into that so badly. Mm-hmm. And I see mm-hmm. that, in, not just that, but in any other thing that when we look at it and go, wow, wow, I wonder why that guy's, you know, what a nutball we say and stuff, but you rethink about it,
2: mm-hmm. man,
4: I wonder where they came from and what is it that they are so angry about?
3: Right, right. Well, I also think that we have to look about not just the what, but how does Mm -hmm. someone actually, um, you know, get, their minds get sort of on a track and get locked into that Mm -hmm. track. And it's it's that that isolation. And that isolation can be online as much as it can be in person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I keep on wondering about, you know, it's not just the thing that they're after, but how do they get so, you know, into this one point of view, so entrenched in this one point of view. What, what's the, what were the series mm-hmm. steps? Um, it's, it's kind of steps? I bet we'll look back and, and that will be something we'll, we'll look back and sort of analyze. Right.
4: Um, the book we're telling you that you must buy, because it's the best book available right now. <laughs> it's called Warn Me When It's Time. It's a Charlie Mack Motown mystery. It's book six. The author is Cheryl A. Head, and she's been our guest Thank you. Thank
5: you very much. uh, Interesting conversation and therapeutic. I don't have to go to therapy this month. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jeff.
1: To find out more about our show, guests or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com.
3: Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it
0: was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.
3: Show's over for now.